If you're ready to unlock your potential to transform the world around you, then join us here on the Love and Leadership Podcast as we dive into the art of leadership, exploring cutting-edge strategies and timeless wisdom, empowering you to become the exceptional leader you were born to be. You'll learn from inspiring interviews with visionaries, changemakers, and thought leaders who give us practical and actionable real-life leadership strategies, and we'll celebrate authenticity and empathy because leadership is about connecting with others on a profound level. So if you're ready to transform your leadership journey, don't miss a single episode of the Love and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe today for access to a wealth of wisdom, inspiration, and actionable strategies. Let's redefine leadership and create a world where every leader leads with love, passion, and purpose. Welcome to the Love and Leadership Podcast, where we bring you interviews with extraordinary leaders who are changing the world. I'm Dr. Beth Merkel, your Love and Leadership Podcast host. And on this episode, we welcome Dr. Jamie Seaman, a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist with a background in nutrition, exercise, and health science. Dr. Seaman is also a current fellow in integrative medicine, that's kind of hard to say, and a board-certified ketogenic nutrition specialist. You may know her as Dr. Fit and Fabulous from her podcast or from her Hard to Kill Academy, a program focused on human optimization, helping us be the amazing beings we were meant to be. Thank you for joining me on the Love and Leadership Podcast, Dr. Fit and Fabulous, Jamie Seaman. It's so wonderful to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, gosh, my pleasure. You have so much to contribute to the knowledge that we seek about leadership. And I think we're taking a little bit of a different turn today, and I'm excited about that. And I'm so happy to have you on the show because I know what you've done for my life, and I've known you for a while now. And, of course, I've read your book, um, Hard to Kill. You can see all the all the tabs, and it, it's just marked <laughs> up all over inside. And, That's just perfect. Yeah. And I've even, it's one of those books that I bought several copies and I give them away to friends. So, um, yeah, definitely one of those awesome books. Um, but for those in our audience who are meeting you for the first time, will you share some of your journey that brought you to become Dr. Fit and Fabulous? Yeah. Well, I grew up in Nebraska, born and raised in the state. And as a young girl, I was an athlete. I played a lot of sports, but also loved leadership roles, you know, running for student council. My mom always kind of described me as a leader in my, you know, friend circle. And I always had had aspirations of of being a doctor. My mom was actually a nurse and was the one that really nudged me in that direction saying, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would have gone to medical school. So as a little girl, I you know, had these dreams of becoming a doctor, but I left high school and went to college. I was uh, fortunate enough to play um, division one college softball for the university of Nebraska. <laughs> you guys, I'm a diehard Cornhusker fan, but nice. here's what happened is that I um, had never focused on the aspect of, of being an athlete when it comes to, you know, nutrition and training, you know, you get to college and they kind of tell you what to eat and how to train and of course, I you know was a hard worker, so I did what they said. But I was also in the midst of getting a degree in nutrition and exercise science at the time, thinking that if I didn't make it into medical school, I knew how competitive it was that I would maybe pursue something 
you know, in the, in the athletic realm. So I met my husband in college and we got married right after college, went to medical school. And now here is this huge shift in my life going from being an athlete training every single day to now I'm very suddenly sedentary. I'm sitting in the classroom for long periods of time. I'm now starting to struggle with my weight. I don't have the time, right? Because it was like forced into my schedule. Now I'm having to figure out, you know, now I'm adulting and trying to figure out where to put it in my day. So my husband um, wanted to start a family, you know, right away. So we had our first daughter in medical school, went on to have two more children during our medical training. And um, during my pregnancies, I started to experience a lot of uh, health difficulties, like failing my glucose test and the doctor telling me I had problems with my thyroid. And so, you know, then I went out into private practice, you know, I finished my training and finished residency and, um, I ended up being diagnosed with prediabetes and it was around the time in 2015 I had a horrible tragedy happen in my life. It's sad sometimes that we need these monumental, horrible events sometimes to wake us up. But that was kind of an awakening for me that, you know, I could be gone anytime and I really wanted to live my life differently. I wanted to be grateful for every day I woke up. I wanted to be, you know, a grateful mother. I wanted to be a better doctor and I was living with these health conditions that are really honestly preventable. And so I completely shifted my life, um, did a a whole 180, went back to an integrative medicine fellowship, uh, started changing the way I treat patients, started taking care of myself better. And uh, I call it pay yourself first. And we can totally dive into that more. But um, what it did, I mean, it really changed the trajectory of my life. So Fit and Fabulous was kind of born one night on my couch, honestly, (laughs) um, the name. And, um, you know, it led to this big social media following. But really, honestly, for me, it was just being my authentic self and sharing it with the world and the world understanding that doctors are humans, too. And we have all the same struggles and hurdles, you know. Um, But it was really me wanting to be a leader in medicine because our healthcare system is not helping a lot of people. We have a lot of chronic disease. And so I really wanted to lead from the front. And instead of just talking the talk, I wanted to walk the walk. So that's how Hard to Kill was born. I love that. I I so appreciate you had on so many things that we all struggle with. Uh, My producer, Grace, and I were just having this conversation before we we started this recording that... uh, uh, you know, it's so easy when somebody else is deciding your structure when you're in college, you know, and once you get out and you have to decide these things for yourself, it can be really hard. And um, just the idea of knowing how to ask the right questions and what to ask. And um, then when we recognize that something needs to change, actually taking the bull by the horns and making the change and making it stick. These are all mindset issues and it's really uh it can be hard and so as i understand it that's a big part of why you wrote the book hard to kill i'm going to hold it up again because that's that's what i do hard to kill um and you also started the hard to kill academy to help the rest of us lead our best lives and again i was telling grace before uh this uh recording that I'm 58 years old, and I'm the healthiest and fittest I've ever been. And a big part of that has been your guidance and your attitude toward a whole person um, approach to health and wellness. And one of the many reasons that your methods are so 
popular in social media is because with all the fitness gurus who are out there telling us how to look our best, your message is how to be our best through these five pillars of health that you write about in your book and you live every day. And that's to master the mindset um, through uh, nutrition, movement, sleep, resilience, and environment. Did I get those right? Yeah, you named them. You named them all <laughs> for sure. And you are, you're, you're living them well. So you're a great example. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so will you briefly, you know, again, for those of us who perhaps aren't following you on social media yet, although um, everybody should, or who haven't read the book, will you briefly tell us about each of these pillars just quickly for context before we move on? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the whole premise of Hard to Kill is that I'm an OBGYN, so I deliver babies. And, you know, when we're born, we don't we don't know how long we have. You know, we may have a day, we may have a year, we may have a hundred years. And it's really waking up every single day and taking full advantage of that opportunity, but also knowing, you know, that that we we're not immortal. And mm. the five pillars, what these five pillars are, is these five pillars are the foundation that allows you to make your life what you want to make it. Because so many of us are burdened by the, the poor choices that we make on a daily basis and they really add up and they shorten our lifespan and they make us have a really unfulfilled life that is not full of joy. You know, when it's like when we do anything, right? Marry somebody, buy a car, build a house, like whatever it is, right? We're always looking for joy. You know, mm -hmm. we just like that's really at the end of the day what we want. So these five pillars, the first one is nutrition. Um, something that's so important because we do it every single day. <laughs> it's required yeah. to live. Um, and so we can dive into that. The second one is exercise and movement. We've gotten a few things wrong when it comes to exercise. And you hit on a point that is so important. A lot of people think exercise is about vanity. Lifting weights is about vanity. And it's not. It's about health. And 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 I can explain what uh, what it does to protect us as we age and how it really truly makes us harder to kill. Um, the third one is sleep. Um, I think for the people listening, leaders tend to be the very type A, you know, morning to night kind of personalities. They don't have enough hours and minutes in the day to cram it all in. They're very productive people. Um, unfortunately, sometimes sleep is the first thing that gets cut when they have deadlines that they need to meet Absolutely. or a project that they just can't get their mind off of. And so, Unfortunately, that can really start to weigh us down as well. Um, the the fourth pillar is kind of um, emotional, spiritual, physical resiliency and mindset. And honestly, this is probably the most important pillar. I you know some days I'm like, no, nutrition is. Uh, we could fight about it, but um, <laughs> but this one is so important because this is honestly kind of that that golden nugget that people are missing mm. is the mindset behind why we should even care, you know, about all of this. And then, and then the resiliency, because these things are not easy and life is not easy. And you don't know when you're going to get blindsided on a Tuesday by some horrible thing. And how do you, how do you bounce back from that? Um, and then the fifth pillar is environment. And environment is basically the people, places, and things that we interact with. Mm -hmm. And they all have an impact on our health, like where we live, 
the products that we're using um, and the people, you know, the relationships that we have, you know, like deep human connection also plays a part in our health. So that's, that's the five pillars of hard to kill. And if you can master those five pillars, let me tell you, your life will be amazing. I absolutely agree with you. And, and I have made it my life's mission to try to master each of these uh, pillars. But I agree with you, the key is resilience, right? Um, because just yesterday, I dove into a big bag of peanut M&Ms. I was stressed. I hadn't paid attention to my sleep. Um, I wasn't getting movement. I was sitting there you know, on the computer all day and um, just launched into this bag of M&Ms like they were going to save my life. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, resilience has a whole lot to do with self and other compassion, being able to say, yep, I did that, but I can start again. And so, you know. Hopefully there will be no M&Ms so far. No M&Ms in my diet yet today. <laughs> Nobody died from one bag of M&Ms, so I think you'll, I think you'll make it. And, uh, you know, already started with movement, got better sleep last night, all of those things. So I love this idea that through resilience, we can start again. And we tend to focus on the body's health, right? Um, how... Um, you know, what, what the labs are showing and, you know, how, how good we look and how far we can walk or whether we get tired going up a flight of stairs. All that's really important. But it's actually the brain's health that dictates the way we process information, um, the way we uh, set our minds and attitudes toward ourselves and others. And that, in turn, dictates the way we lead, the way we make decisions, the information that we gather and the processes that we follow as we're making these decisions. So it's super interesting interesting to note that perhaps the bigger side of all of this is the way they these five pillars affect our brains and then the way we think, the way we process information, which then affects the way we behave, which then affects the way, the way we look. It's it's quite bi, it's quite bi-directional actually. Yeah. It's so interesting. So I have to ask you, what effect do these five hard to kill pillars have on our brains? Let's start at the source because if we get there and we understand that, then the outward manifestations will follow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, humans are very interesting. Out of all the different mammals, uh, we are the only people who can actually think about our own thoughts. Metacognition. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Right. (laughs) We can think about our own thoughts. Now, this is an important concept because if you have the ability to control your mind and to control your brain, you basically have power over everything. And this is kind of a scary concept for people to think that they are powerful beyond belief, right? Um, Give up that victim hook that, you know, I can blame the fact that I'm a victim, but you're saying we don't have to be. You hear as a child, right? Like you can be anything you want, right? 
Um, but we have these limits that that our brain starts to put on us because as a mammalian species, you know, we're supposed to, you know, reproduce and so that our DNA lives forever. And so we have these stop mechanisms in our brain that will stop us from doing things that are perceived as a threat to our existence. Now, some of those things might be real threats, right? Like yeah. if you step off a curb and a car is about to hit you, if you're walking through the woods and a bear starts chasing you, these are, you know, real physical threats to you. But think about all the things that happen in your day that are not really threatening you, but our brain is like, whoa, stop, don't do that. I mean, even as something as simple as going to the gym, you know, mm. you may start to think about the discomfort that's associated with that, the fact that you have to wake up early to go do that. And you start to create these excuses and these excuses are kind of these stops in the brain and excuses are subtle, seductive, and believable. Excuses are subtle, seductive, and believable. I love that. And, and it's, and it's just the plain honest truth. We can come up with an excuse for anything and everything. And so how do we overcome these things? Well, our brain is it has this internal language. We, we've studied people that have done, you know, massive health transformations. They've lost 150 pounds, um, you know, reversed all their chronic diseases, got off 25 medications, you know, like these amazing stories of, of resiliency when it comes to health. Now, what is the it factor that these people have over the patient that has tried and failed 10 or 15 times, you know, 10 different diets, 10 different exercise programs, like all the things. Well, certainly there are characteristics like grit, tenacity, right? People that just don't want to quit. And that is, that is very important. But at the end of the day, it is tied to their identity of who they believe they are. So this internal language in our brain about who we are is what drives every single action in our life. So language drives action and action drives outcomes. Mm -hmm. So if we can change the language in our brain, then that will start to change the actions in our life. And then that will change the outcomes in our life. So this is like a very simplistic way of saying you literally can do anything you want to (laughs) do. So um, when it comes to, you know, these five pillars, like nutrition and exercise and sleep and all these things, um, it starts with this internal language about who you are. And a lot of people ask me where Fit and Fabulous came from. And honestly, one night, I'm not really sure. Like I said, it was like just this kind of like vision I had on my couch at 8 p.m. one night. But in retrospect, what it was, was a declaration without any evidence that I was going to be a doctor that led from the front. I was, I was going to be fit again. I was going to be fabulous. And I use fabulous as a term of like, this just like bright shining light in my world. And, and that is where massive change starts to happen. So if you're listening right now and you're like, I don't like where I am in my life, whether it's your relationship or your job or your financial, whatever it is, um, there is something inside your brain that has kept you right there because you have a belief system in your brain that you're supposed to be tired and overweight um, but you got a big bank account and a crappy marriage. So the, these mm. things self-perpetuate because of these subtle, seductive, believable excuses that we have. And so it's really changing. It's really changing that internal language in the brain. And like I said, it's bi-directional. We eat crappy food. We start to have crappy thoughts. You know, we don't work out. It's bi-directional. They support each other. But that's really where where the magic starts. I love that because it does um, foster that resilience, you know, that I I can start again, um, not 
I screwed up, I'm a failure. So many of us who aspire to leadership or who are uh, feeling the pressures in leadership positions think we have to be perfect. And you are saying, uh, no, that's absolutely not part of it. And our world isn't perfect. So our sleep will get interrupted and our nutrition might not be perfect, but um, we can start again. And when we recognize that our mindsets aren't where they're supposed to be, we're not processing information uh, in the best way, we can reset. And it really is yeah. up to each of us to to do that. Now, one thing I, um, um, I want to touch on is that this attitude is so much, right? But I mean, there are actual like chemical things going on between, you know, this bag of M&Ms I ate, yeah. <laughs> which set off a whole one certain set of like chemical reaction in my brain or a uh, beautiful steak and some nice steamed broccoli uh, that would have set off perhaps a different set of yeah. of chemical reactions. And so can you yeah, talk so a little bit about that? food affects our mood. Yeah, yeah. Is, is kind of the connection you're making. Yeah. So... How that works is that um, the brain and the gut are very much connected to each other through the vagus nerve. So um, when I say this is bidirectional, you know, why do we eat? We eat for energy, we eat for for nutrients, but there are these what we call nutrient sensing pathways in the body between the brain and between all the other organs, they communicate with each other. So uh, like when I said you eat crappy food and you feel crappy, (laughs) right? Like why is that? So one of my very uh, uh, great colleague of mine, Dr. Chris Palmer, he just wrote a book called Brain Energy. And it really is tying back, you know, like mental health, even things like basic anxiety and depression, all the way to like really debilitating schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. That all of these things have the same mechanism. It's brain energy. It's brain metabolism. Okay. So just like your muscles have to burn fuel to work, your brain burns fuel to work. Mm. And... It, it uses primarily glucose as a fuel source, but there's an alternative fuel source called ketones that can circumvent a, a broken brain. So when we eat these really highly processed foods for a really long time, so not just bags of M&Ms on occasion, but <laughs> yeah. um, many bags of M&Ms. The standard American diet, which is a lot of processed carbohydrates, yeah. really low quality fats, and it tends to be very low in protein. When we do this, we start to damage the ability of our brain to use its normal energy sources. And so it starts to suffer. We start to see changes in neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. And um, and our gut starts to be more inflamed. And that inflammation travels to the brain. And now the brain is inflamed. And it manifests in lots of different ways in all of us because we're, we're you know, very individual in that sense. Um, but our food does affect our mood and how we feel. And like I said, our, our brain is the was what's driving the car. So if you start mm-hmm. to have energy deficiencies in your brain, there's going to be downstream effects in your life. Your ability to show up to your uh, job, the ability to show up to your marriage, um, it, it starts to have a downstream effect on absolutely you know every area of your life. That's absolutely fascinating because as as a leader, as someone who has dedicated my life to studying leadership and you know consulting leaders and and leading myself, 
I hear again and again and again, um, I don't have time. I don't have time to take care of myself. Um, I'm going to grab a donut and a cup of coffee. I'm going to call it lunch, and then I'm going to go to this meeting. Um, when I think the more... I think a point we're missing is that as leaders, it's up to us. We have to make time. Let's put it that way. We have to make time. That's part of leadership. Find that time to food plan, if that's what it takes. Find that time to sit and schedule in that hour for lunch so you can decompress, so you can eat well. Because as we go through the day, you're talking about food affects your mood, right? So we make decisions from a really fuzzy, um, negative, uh, inefficient brain, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And who are we affecting here? You know, ourselves for sure. And that's important enough. But when we think that as leaders, we are affecting the our teams we are affecting their families so when we say things that feel like in the moment i'm being a martyr um i don't have time i have to grab and go that is oh i i want to say that's actually if you think about it taking the easy way out it doesn't feel like it but it really is yeah, I mean, there's a level of cognitive dissonance that that is occurring too, because, you know, even in the medical world, there's so many doctors that are like, yeah, there's just not enough time. Like, yeah, I get it. Just, you know, eat what's convenient, right? So or, or I'll give an example. For instance, I was invited to a breast cancer fundraiser and there was like an open bar at this breast cancer fundraiser. And one thing we know that massively increases your risk of breast cancer is alcohol. Yeah. Like here we are, like a breast cancer fundraiser, like with I'm an open bar, right? Here. Like, So it, it takes somebody in, in leadership to say, hey, you guys, if we're the, the, you know, Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation and we're going to hold these fundraisers, maybe our leaders should be showing people lifestyle factors that prevent breast cancer, right? But there's such a level in our world of like the, these connections. Like, and, and I think some of it is, is just people just don't understand. They've just never been taught. They've never been educated. But I think some people do understand and they just don't want to acknowledge it, right? Subtle, seductive, believable excuses. I'm a CEO. I work this many hours. I've got this many kids, you know? Um, it's, it's pretty wild sometimes what we can get ourselves to believe. It is. That's so true. And I think an important point I'm just going to throw in here for consideration is we don't have to believe everything our mind tells us. So (laughs) part of giving ourselves that gift of time, um, and let's not think of it as a gift. Let's think of it as an important resource that as leaders, we are, uh, required to provide for ourselves and for our teams. Uh, you know, part of that is uh, allowing our, um, uh, allowing our ability to, to make these decisions and say, okay, what is easy and what is best? Those, sometimes those are the same things. Often they are not. So it's um, easier to get people to show up to your function if you're serving alcohol. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, but if you say we are making a statement and take the time to make that statement, and 
you know, come even though there isn't alcohol. It may take a lot more work, but boy, what an impact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about, I'm an athlete, so I always like think about, you know, uh, I think there's athletics are like a microcosm of life. And winning is rare, um, but people who win do do rare things. They do things that other people aren't doing, not willing to do. And I think that, you know, if you are a leader in your company, in your family, in your church community, like whatever it is, when it comes to health, because the richest people in the world, I'm telling you right now, when it gets to the end, they would give any amount of their bank account for their health back when they suddenly something happens to them. They have a massive heart attack, they get a cancer diagnosis, whatever it is. And so, you know, I just think that health needs to be something that every leader needs to think about because healthy people are more productive, they're happier, they're more joyful, they don't quit their jobs, they show up to their jobs. I mean, so it it starts with you being the example, but fostering the ability for your employees to take care of themselves. Um, Your businesses are going to be more successful, your relationships are going to be more successful, like it just starts with the ability of our body to show up for, you know, for ourselves. Like, you know, um, it's, it's just wild sometimes <laughs> the way we abuse it and then still expect it to show up. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, well, I'm not going to put gas in the car, but I'm going to drive cross right, country. Like, hit your, <laughs> hit your car with a baseball bat, slash yeah. its tires, like don't put fuel in it and you still expect it to drive you to work. <laughs> right. I'm surprised it didn't get there. Like what happened? This is, yeah. so it's, I was um, in conversation with a colleague the other day and um and she brought up a good point about um these dopamine hits that we get and in particular from um you know from food from social media from um even these thoughts that we believe at least I'm such a martyr <laughs> as a leader I'm going to not take care of myself because I'm I'm going to take care of my people and that's the best thing I mean, there can be some truth to that, but often there isn't. Often it's that dopamine hit that yeah. we're looking for. And it's, um, you know, I understand you know, dopamine and it hits the pleasure centers of the brain and then we feel good about what we did. And But she brought up this concept, and I'm just kind of throwing it out there, of um, what she called cheap dopamine hits and high-quality dopamine hits. And so... The cheap dopamine hits being the um, I'm avoiding something or I, you know, I'm believing these thoughts in my head. So I'm going to um, scroll through my social media for an hour and avoid everything. I'm going to uh, grab that donut instead of planning a lunch. Um, I'm going to, you know, whatever, whatever these, whatever these dopamine hits. When, if we take the time and it requires some self-awareness as well and make even a slight effort toward these higher quality dopamine hits, which says I'm going to eat a a balanced meal quickly, but it's going to be balanced. Um, I'm going to, I am going to walk, um, yeah, high quality dopamine hits are basically delayed gratification. And we've studied this time and time and time again, right? Thank Do you, you want your money now or can you wait? 
and get more later. And that is the problem with dopamine is it's designed to be a a neurotransmitter that we're supposed to earn. Um, But we have such easy, we have bags of M&Ms, we have phones, we have Mm -hmm. so many things that can give us dopamine without earning it. And that's a problem because once you start to use it that way, you need more and then you need more and then you need more. When you have to earn your dopamine, like let's say I'm going to do a 24-hour fast. Once you get to the end of that 24-hour fast, this like sense of accomplishment, oh my God, you get this dopamine effect versus like bag of M&Ms, which is immediate. Same thing with going to the gym. Like you go to the gym, you put in the work, you hit a personal record today, like you get you get dopamine from that. Um, and so you're totally right. It, for, it's just delayed gratification. That's what it is, which is a really hard thing to do, yeah. you know, and it's something that we have to learn um, and practice, you know, and cultivate. It's like, it's really easy to fall for, for the, for the quick hits in, in today's society. Delayed gratification. But like you said, it, it's, it's that higher quality in the outcomes. Yeah. So we're yeah, investing sure. in these better outcomes. So I think of that in terms of the nutrition choices we make. Uh, I can go for that cheap dopamine <laughs> or I can you know, make a wiser decision about how I move and how often I move about the amount of sleep I get. Do I watch one more episode um, or do I make the effort and reap the longer term benefits of the sleep, which will all foster and support resilience, and then we can interact uh, in our environment more efficiently. So those are the, those are the five pillars. I just love that, um, as you said, it's this kind of reciprocal relationship. We make these choices, yeah. and then yeah, you the need you need to earn to everything. Us. And the earn. and the crazy yeah. thing about health is like it can't be bought. You literally cannot attain it without putting in the work. And, and that is where people struggle because (laughs) it's, you know, and it's like, it's day in and day out decisions, not just like 30 days, uh, you know, for, of a challenge or whatever. Like it's making those day in, day out consistent decisions, um, which is hard for people to like want to pursue Mm -hmm. because I mean, we're talking years of (laughs) delayed gratification, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for you know, for some serious benefit. I always like to think of it in reverse order. Like Mm -hmm. if you live to be 90 years old, like what do you want your life to be like at 90? Mm. What will it, what will it take to achieve that level at 90 where you can climb mountains and you can get on the ground with your grandkids and you can fit in your normal size clothes and you can, you know, wake up with some energy And then like reverse engineer that. We do this with goals all the time, right? Like I want to achieve a million dollars in wealth. Okay. And then we, then we break it down. Okay. It's going to take this steps and I'm going to have to do this on a daily basis, but you can do the exact same thing with your health, like reverse engineer. How long do you want to live? What do you want your life to be like? And then what's it going to take to be, you know, on that path? Knowing that things are going to happen to you and that's okay. And we're going to roll with it. Yeah. Again, back to that, a little uh, self-compassion and just, um, you know, reality. Life happens. You, you talk about, um, you, you use the word work, 
Right. And um, it's funny. I, I had a visceral reaction to that word. That's why I'm, I'm bringing it up. So like work. <laughs> but so many of us do. I had um, a friend I was talking to a long time ago who was having trouble in their marriage. And I said, well, you know, you got to work at it. And she's like, um, I don't want to work at it. Why should I have to work at it? This should be good. Like now. I'm like, whoa. We... I think, I, I don't think I'm alone in that reaction. What, what was work for you and how did you overcome it in your journey? What obstacles did you face? I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it that way. And how did you? Well, I think that we, I think we've become a society that um, we're like a finished product society. For instance, mm. if somebody right now can go to my social media and they can look at me and my happy life and my, you know, awesome body and, and, you know, all these amazing things. And, and that's what we want. Like it's this finished product society and what they don't see it, is the work, right? That's usually what we're actually not sharing with people is, is the day when it was really hard and we had to overcome a lot of reasons why we weren't going to do what we needed to get done. Um, for me, I did really well in the beginning about putting myself first. Um, I call, I call it pay yourself first. I didn't get to talk about this yet. So for me, it's as a mom, uh, I always put my kids first for many years. It was like, okay, well, I got to get them a bath and I got to do this and this and this. So like, I don't have time to work out and I'm just going to run through a drive-through because I got my kids, my, my kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was a very yeah. easy excuse for me. Um, so where the work, work took was saying, okay, forget it. I'm going to get up at 5am. Well, actually 4.30 for many years. I'm going to get up at 4.30. I'm going to go work up at work out at 5am because I know they don't wake up till six. And so like, boom, that's off the table. I, and it's me first. This is the most important thing that is supposed to happen in your day happens right when you wake up. People call it like a morning routine or like whatever it is. But um, that was work for me. Waking up that early, I was like, oh my gosh, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but then I, I would get the workout in and then too. I realized that as the day went on, I was like, oh, thank God I did that. And it's, you know, and it's already done. Right. And then, and then whatever happened with my kids, then that wouldn't be an excuse for me any longer. And then when it came to nutrition, it was like, okay, where's my weak spots here? Well, clearly when I don't have something prepared ahead of time, I'm more likely to make bad decisions. So then it was like, okay, taking the work and the time on Sunday to you know prep some protein, prep some meals so that I had less what I call decision fatigue. I, ha mm -hmm. I get decision fatigue a lot. I have to make choices for my patients and I have to make choices for me and then I have to make choices for my kids. And it gets exhausting. Your brain gets so tired of making all these decisions. So make it easy. You don't have to make decisions. Here's your meals for the week. Just heat them up and eat them. <laughs> um, and so that's where it took the work for me is saying, where are my weak spots? How can I just put these safeguards in place where it's easier for me to execute these things? And it just, it made it easier to be successful. Um, but I think people don't take the time uh, to do that kind of work expect that the world will just set it up for them on a silver platter. <laughs> right. And that's not how, that's just not how it goes. Like, that's what I said with health. Like you can't attain it any other way. You can't Amazon it. You can't like, you got to do it. Yeah. And you got to figure out where to put it in your day and make it work and, and schedule these types of things. Even 
resiliency, breath work, meditation, like these things should be like scheduled on your calendar. Yes. I, I love that point that you just made is we see the end result. We don't see the work that went into getting that end result, but it, it really is all about the work. And if we don't put ourselves first as leaders, we will run out of gas. It sounds selfish. It feels selfish at first. But when we, we see the long-term outcomes and how it benefits uh, ourselves mentally, emotionally, how we are interacting with people with more uh, positivity and uh, more realistically, we're making better decisions. Our teams are thriving. We are thriving. It all starts with making the decision, taking the time to put in the work. And it, it absolutely is part of it. It's not selfish. It is providing yourself and your teams the right resources. And I really feel that we need to reframe that as leaders. Um, it's, it is an investment in ourselves so we can invest in the people around us. That's, um, but as leaders, it's just setting a culture because when you have yeah. a culture of we take care of our bodies, we make decisions that take care of our brains and our bodies and our minds or whatever it is, when you create that culture, it makes it easier for your followers. And um, like, for instance, at work, when you go into the break room and there's donuts and cookies and things like that, when you're like the one person that's like, yeah, I'm okay. And then everyone looks at you and you can just like feel the judgment in their eyes like a laser beam, right? Your your serotonin starts to lower. And serotonin is a a neurotransmitter in the brain that is like, I call it the social security. It's like, okay, the tribe still likes me. I'm not getting voted off the island. I feel good in this like pack, you know? And so when you don't get serotonin, you're like, okay, I'll just have like one bite of cookie. But when you just set a culture that like there's no snacks in the break room, we all go for a walk at lunchtime, you know, like whatever it is, everybody's good. Everybody's got serotonin. Everybody's getting along. Like that's just the culture. And so like as a leader, you create that culture in your own life and then it starts to spill over into these other areas of your life. But you just basically have to set that standard. And it starts with self. I, I, yeah, it yes. starts with one person. We can set one the person culture you. In, in this package here, right? I'm and, accountable for this. Yeah. yeah. And then it yeah. expands, you know, for those of us who have this, whatever our sphere of influence is, whether it's yep. know, our team um, at work, whether it's a company, whether it's, you know, whatever, uh, a state, a nation, you know, whatever, we can start right here and let others yep. follow our examples. And, and that is, um, I think, the definition of love and leadership. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Fit and Fabulous, I could have this conversation all day for days and days. Um, and I know you have a tight schedule. So I'm going to turn the conversation back to you a little bit and ask, what do you have going on in your world that you'd like to share with the love and leadership community? Yeah, well, there's always something up my sleeve. (laughs) I know it. That's why I asked. But I'll tell you what, my my three kids have kept my sleeves down here for a while. So (laughs) I'm I'm really honestly, I'm at a point where I have um, learned the ability to say no. 
um, two things in my life that at, at this time are just not a priority. So my girls are just at an age. I have three daughters for you people listening. They're eight, 10 and 12. And so I want to be present at this point in their life because I know they're not going to be in my house forever. Um, and so I'm really trying to be a mom right now. And I want people to hear that, you know, because, uh, you might look at my social media and think like, oh my gosh, she has like all this stuff going on. But for me, you know, being a mom and being a wife are at the top priority of absolutely everything because that's my support system. And, um, but, um, I, uh, just found out recently, this is actually the first time I'm even announcing this, but, um, I just got selected for a Ted talk. So I'm I'm working on my, uh, my first Ted talk. So that'll be super exciting. Something that's happening this year, but, um, but I do invest just a lot of my time over in hard to kill Academy. That's just, you know, a, a group of men and women who, are committed to this type of lifestyle and it is a tribe and a support system and, and education. And right now it's the only way people get one-on-one access with me. Um, because my time is just crazy. Uh, you know, I bits and pieces that I can, that I can give cause I'm a full-time doctor. So it's so important to me that I'm in clinic and seeing patients. So I work four days a week in the clinic and that's, that is my primary, uh, my primary career. So all of this stuff is just extra, but I do it because, um, it's incredible, right? People could be listening to this podcast like in any country. How amazing is that, that we can touch people and touch lives like all over the world. So this kind of stuff really does kind of fill my cup in a sense. And thank you so much. And I know your guidance has um, impacted my life in so many ways and so much for the better. You've helped me get control over uh, my physical and mental well-being through um, all different types of uh, the whole person health care. So I appreciate that. And I encourage the audience to uh, purchase the Hard to Kill book if you haven't done that already and to look up Hard to Kill Academy. What a wonderful way to get the support that we need as we move forward in uh, becoming hard to kill and being hard to kill leaders. So thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Fit and Fabulous, Jamie Seaman. Thanks for the opportunity. And thank you for tuning into the Loving Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, share, and hit the notifications button so you don't miss out on a single episode. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Dr. Fit and Fabulous, Jamie Seaman, and that she inspired you to love yourself through nutrition, movement, sleep, resilient mindset, and a healthy environment. And remember, taking care of yourself is the first step to being a loving leader, and leading with love is a superpower that transforms the world around us. So let's go out there and make a difference, one love and act at a time. I'm Dr. Beth Merkel, and I can't wait to connect with you again on the next episode of Love and Leadership. Thank you for joining us on this incredible journey we call Love and Leadership. Now it's time for you to take action and unleash your true leadership potential. Here are four easy steps you can take today. Number one, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Number two, share. Share the love with your friends, colleagues, and fellow leaders. Number three, connect to our Love and Leadership community by clicking the link below. And finally, take the knowledge and wisdom that you've gained from this podcast and put it into action. The Love and Leadership Podcast is more than just a podcast. It's a movement. Together, let's rewrite the leadership narrative and create a world where love, passion, and purpose thrive. 
I can't wait to see the incredible impact you'll make as a love and leader. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, lead on with love. A Huda Media Production.